So I found out today that uh, Mark Zuckerberg is is five seven. He's five foot seven. That's that's a small guy. That's a small man. And I guess you know, thinking about what he is, who he is, what he's good at, it shouldn't be surprising. But. Mark Zuckerberg has sort of um, morphed from, you know, nerd in his dorm room to, like, you know, titan of business or whatever. And the man is 5'7". And he looks like a goddamn potato, you know? Um, and it really gives the rest of the rest of us hope. I mean, I'm not... Let me, let me, let me get that out there, that I am not 5'7". I don't want to be... I don't want to be misleading people in that sense. I'm like 5'11". And you know what the fuck sucks about being 5'11"? Is because everyone thinks that 5'11", or wait, no, everyone, everyone, 5'11 guys are known for just saying that they're 6 feet even though they're 5'11". You know? But I'm, I'm, I'm literally 5'11". I don't lie. I thought I was 5'10". Listen, I thought I was 5'10 for the longest time and then I went to the doctor not that long ago and they weighed me, which was, you know, the results weren't great there. But then when they heighted me, you know, they were like, you're 5'11". And it was the best news I'd received all week. Because it's like finding out a fundamental fact about yourself is different than what you thought it was, you know. It's like saying like, oh, my birthday is blah, blah, blah. And they go, no, it's actually, you know, July 18th. Um you know, and it's great, and maybe you want it to be, it's like, and it's like, it would be better be, to be born on July 18th, is, I guess, the, the presumption there, but yeah, I found out Mark Zuckerberg is 5'7", um, and that's because I did some Googling on him while I was watching, uh, The Social Network, The Social Network, they put it on Netflix, and so I've just been, you know, so I, I started watching it immediately because for so long, The Social Network was one of my most favorite movies of all time. And, you know, it's one of those seminal movies in someone's, uh, you know, adolescence where you go, I want to be that kind of person or not that kind of person, but I want to do the things that they did. So I watched The Social Network and I said, all right, I'm going to be a computer programmer. That's going to be my thing. I'm going to be a coder. I'm going to be like in my room hacking while everyone else is out, you know, at parties. But then in, in 20 years, it's going to be proven that actually I made the right decisions because I'll be a billionaire and, you know, I'll matter and for the and the rest of these losers won't. And, you know, a lot of what this, a lot of this is kind of like, you know, the um, prototype of incel rhetoric um, before incel rhetoric existed. Um, and, but then, you know, and there's a chance that it could have, uh, could have gone down that path. But unfortunately, I was impeded by the fact that I was simply terrible at math. Um, and you really need to be good at math and good at science and have that sort of um, left brain, uh, you know, orderly energy to be able to be a computer programmer. And so I sort of just wanted to, you know, and, and you know, maybe I could have become that person if I had any of the skills required to do it. Um, but I think what I really, what I really wanted since I wasn't a good programmer was just to adopt the aesthetic. Um, but then eventually I grew out of that as well, you know. But uh, for a second there, I could have been like a Mark Zuckerberg type. And wouldn't have that been, that would have been bad. I don't think I would have wanted to be a Mark Zuckerberg type. Um, you know, especially considering what he is now. Um, but, you know, I, that, that, that also could have been cool. Like, he could have gone to Harvard and, like, 
you know, in the future, people will be like, oh, this is the dorm room where, where Will Humans created, you know, the first social media platform to, to publish your social security number, you know, because that's what I would be, you know, well known for is just, you know, exposing private information and, you know, putting people's safety in jeopardy. Um, but unfortunately, I couldn't do that because I just didn't, I wasn't good at any of the things you have to be good at to do that. Um, and I was listening to a podcast the other day. Um, and the podcast was about the rabbit hole one, the New York Times one. And it was about, um, it's about, basically it's about, you know, the YouTube algorithm and how being online can radicalize you in different ways. Um, and so they're following this guy who like started out, you know, basically just like watching YouTube videos all the time in like 2006 or 2007. And then as he sort of, like, went deeper and deeper down that rabbit hole, he, you know, found, like, he found, you know, he found, like, you know, Joe Rogan and, and Stefan Molyneux and, like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And now he's, like, a white nationalist or whatever. Um, but then I realized as I was listening to it, I was like, wow, this guy's crazy, that our stories really only departed around halfway through high school. Um, and around halfway through I th- halfway through high school, I found um, talking to people and like you know I found I found some solace in you know socializing with friends and you know having a good time with other human beings. Um, whereas he took a hard right into you know into Joe Rogan videos, um, but that's really where we that was like the most. But up till then, you know, we were doing a lot of the same things. You know, he was doing like six seven hours of YouTube a day and then like gaming Minecraft. And, you know, and I was like, okay, that's not super different from what I've been doing, you know. So um, I could have been that guy as well. I do feel a little bit like, uh, you know, like like an incel who was scared straight into not being an incel. Um, maybe don't. <laughs> I don't know why whenever I decide to record these things, I want to incriminate myself. It seems like there's I have a death wish a little bit. I swear to God, I'm not an incel. But, you know, it's like you look back at the facts of your life, you know, if you were to write it all down, it seemed like that was the trajectory I was taking until, honestly, I discovered theater. And uh, then, you know, that sort of saved me from being that and instead doomed me to a different, um, you know, fate. Um, I'm not a theater kid either. I don't want to be, you know, God, I really just want to, why am I just stepping on so many rakes today? I don't want to be seen as either of those things. But I guess I really shouldn't be concerned as to how I'm being seen. I want to be, you know, accepted by, you know, whoever whoever wants to accept me. I don't want to be, you know, it's like that Groucho Marx quote, who wants to be a part of the club that they're not invited to. That's not the that's not the quote. It's why would it when why would I why, yeah, why would I want to be in a club that has me as a member? That's what it was. Um and I, I I do like that quote a lot, but uh, you know I think it's fundamentally wrong, um, because then you can never be part of anything if you know if the disqualifying factor for you is the fact that you're in it, you know. So uh, it would be hard to really get involved if anything, because then you're really your own worst enemy. And I don't think it'd be wrong to say that the the Marx Brothers were their own worst enemy. Um, I have no knowledge of their history or what or you know what happened to them from a from a personal standpoint um other than the fact that one that their whole bit was like chasing women around in silent movies 
Um, but I'm going to go ahead and say that the Marx Brothers were their own worst enemy, um, as if I have any of the facts to back that up. So yeah, what, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, The Social Network. The Social Network is a... Uh, that's why I was watching it, is because it's this movie that I used to enjoy all the time, and uh, and I still enjoy it, even when I when I watch it back. But it has this thing where, uh, you know, it's not going to age as well as one would hope, because it's centered around technology, right? And any movie that's centered around technology does age, just ages ages horribly because technology progresses and eventually you just look old and weird so there's a scene in the in the social network where it's after mark zuckerbuild builds my zuckerbuild that's what he wanted the colon he's like hey i'm a zuckerbuild zuckerberg builds face mash um you know which is the thing where he's like comparing women in college and then it cuts to him in a lawsuit years later and one of the uh, associates at the law firm defending him just like approaches him in confidence as like you know a friend and is like your site got 2200 hits in 5 hours you know and then he goes 22000 and then she goes excuse me and he goes 22000 and then we're all supposed to go, whoa, as if 22,000 hits is like the craziest thing in the world to do in five hours. But, you know, you get on TikTok now and you could have 1.7 million likes in a matter of 45 minutes if you do it right, you know. And But, but, but you have to watch the movie in context. You have to think about it as, you know, okay, it's 2010 or whatever, 2012, and, you know, 2,200 hits – which is initially impressive to the lawyer is impressive, you know, and then when he, and then he, when he goes twenty two thousand, that's even more impressive, and that's so mind blowing, um, you know. So uh, that's you know that's one of the things where the where the movie sort of um, you know sort of shows its age, where the wrinkles begin, where the crow's feet per se, um, you know, are more pronounced than in other parts. Um, and then the whole, but also like the whole, you know, concept of the movie is, uh, you know, will eventually be dated because it's about Facebook. Um, and you know, when the movie come, when it came out and whenever that was 2000, I think it was 2012, it was like, wow, Facebook, this thing that everyone is on this, this, you know, this thing that is now a fundamental pillar to our existence. Here's how it began. And it's not as sexy as you think it was. Um, but now, you know, Facebook is really just, um, a sort of gradually evolving Unabomber manifesto, um, you know, populated by boomers who, who, who want to burn, you know, society down in some sense. Or they just want to, like, you know, convince you to vote for Biden and, like, show you hats on cats. Um, so it's not really what it used to be, and it's not the thing that it was when the movie came out. Um, but if you can transport yourself there to 2012 and think, like, wow, how important was this movie then? How how controversial was it then? Then you can really appreciate it, because I remember appreciating it, appreciating it on that level. I was like, god damn, this movie is so cool. And there's, like... I mean, and there's also things that you, you, you know, you, you're watching in them, you're like, okay, there's no way that happened. Like, there's a part where he's testing interns to, like, where Mark Zuckerberg is, they're about to move to Palo Alto for the summer, and he's looking for interns, and the way they find interns at Harvard is they have them do, like, a drunk coding contest. And uh, I actually heard that that did happen, that that was a real thing. But in the movie, you know, Andrew Garfield's character is walking into this basement and he just hears, like, cheering. Like, there's a boxing match going on in the other room. And he steps in and there's, like, you know, 
120 people in this room all shouting, screaming while these kids are doing shots um, and, you know, while trying to find an Apache node or whatever the fuck. And, you know, people were so excited about this. I'm like, where the fuck, in, in what world are 120 kids getting together to, to scream in excitement like it's Mayweather, like it's a Mayweather match while these kids are just like coding and doing stuff that they don't, you can't even understand. You can't even see their screen. And these people are supposed to be just so excited for it to happen. And, you know, okay, so that part probably didn't happen. But, you know, you can still appreciate it, I guess, from uh, the standard of, you know, this is, you know, there was a time when, when, when nerds were not kings, you know? And so the point of that scene and the point of the whole movie is to show that now nerds are kings. Um, and it's an accepted fact now that nerds are kings of the world because they run everything and they probably have slaves. We don't know, um, but they probably do. Um, but back then, 2012, it was not necessarily – or it was really just a burgeoning notion that um, nerds are the coolest thing you could be. you know. And of course, that we saw where that led us. Which is that um, you know elections are compromised and you know the worst people on the planet start suddenly have the, have the keys to the car, um, and it's pretty crazy. Yeah, so that's the, that's the point of the whole that's the point of that movie, and I really I still really enjoy it for that reason, and um, you know Justin Timberlake plays Sean Parker, who uh, is this guy who tries to who, he's like an, an angel investor into Facebook and he helps like sort of make it more legitimate or whatever um, and introduces them to the to the right people to get Facebook off the ground and I was like who the fuck does this guy think he is why is he here you know I mean it was a real thing so I guess I don't it's you know it, it's not unjustified he did step in in that sense but uh, you know I don't know that's just like been on my mind lately is the movie the social the social network and uh and jt he's in it and i'm sort of slowing down here maybe i should slow down more maybe i should give myself more time to think more time to mull over my ideas and you know come up with a come up with a point it doesn't seem like i don't speak a lot with a point to where i'm going you know i'm sort of careening across the highway and you know you know taking different exits and 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 and, t and tangenting as much as possible um and i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing and i just my phone just lit up and it says i got 14 and a half minutes down which means i have like 35 to go um and that's a long time to talk and if you don't appreciate the fact of how long i'm talking for each one of these episodes you really should because it's not easy um my mouth by the time this is over my mouth is dry my tongue i can feel the the taste buds on it because all the saliva is gone it feels like you know like a dog's tongue in a way um you know i feel like i could pick something up if i licked it just using the traction of my dry taste buds um well, let me have a sip of my coffee here so yeah it's raining out today um and uh, it does, I mean, you know, you can't say that that the weather isn't controlled by sun. I remember when in fifth grade they taught us about cloud seeding. And I really didn't understand it. But later in life I did, which is that planes will fly over the clouds and just drop stuff on them to, to basically to impregnate the clouds. And then the cloud will essentially, um, you know, menstruate. 
and rain will fall down on the crops. That seems to be what it is. Um, based on my admittedly, uh, my admittedly lacking agrarian background, you know, I don't know a lot about farming or anything, but the process seems to be that you get a cloud pregnant and then its uterine walls start to shed and it bleeds rain all over the crops and now we can have, you know, corn in our stop and shops. That's my vague understanding of how the whole thing works. Um, I do have a fantasy about going to, about leaving society behind, or leaving, you know, um, the East Coast society behind and buying a nice plot of land out in the Midwest and living the simple life, per se. I think there's something very attractive about that. And I think anyone who lives in the states of New York, or California, or D.C., or Seattle, you know, these, like, pretty booming metro- Chicago, these big metropolises, everyone does have this private little fantasy about abandoning all their hopes and dreams and going to live a much easier life. But then you think about it, and farmers have it have a much more difficult life than we do. Um, farmers, first of all, you need to buy a lot of overalls. So you have to wear overalls all the time. And I don't think that would be great for my self-esteem because I know I wouldn't look good in overalls. Like It seems like the point of overalls is to make it look like you have a gut. So if you have one already, it'll only emphasize that fact. And you also, besides just having to own a lot of overalls, you need to buy all these animals and have a place to feed... It seems like a really big hassle, but it's also, you know, completely, it's the most necessary industry in the, in our entire country, you know. Most things could burn down, most industries could fail and go under and leave millions of people unemployed, and it would be fine. But if farmers suddenly couldn't make food, that's when chaos really ensues. And that's how the Great Depression happened, is that the Dust Bowl happened, and it took away all the food, and then everyone freaked out. And that's really the scariest thing about this whole coronavirus thing. You know, I'm sorry to talk about it again, but it's sort of hard to think about anything else. You know, it's such a pressing matter in our in our daily mind. It's the only thing that there really is to think about is, you know, what the fuck is going to happen next? And one of the things that, I, that has really scared me that I don't think enough people are talking about is that, you know, just because there's one pandemic going on right now, just because there's one, you know, massive uh, tragedy taking place now doesn't mean another one couldn't happen as well, you know? Like, and I think, because I think in our brains, we sort of say, all right, right now we're with coronavirus, so Mother Nature is holding off on all the other good ones. But, you know, we're coming up on hurricane season, or maybe it is hurricane season. It seems like hurricane season is something that's already, it's always like a month or two away, um, but no one actually knows when it is. But, you know, there's no reason that a Hurricane Sandy-type storm or another Hurricane Katrina wouldn't happen in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. And to me, that's the big scary thing, is that coronavirus has really put us on the ropes. But, you know, we're like Ali and we're like dodging some of the worst, some of the worst of the punches, you know. But there's nothing to say that the guy throwing the punches doesn't take out a gun and shoot us in the gut, you know. Like, that could happen. Um, and that, that, that to me, I think, that's, that's where society really topples into, 
into full-blown uh, chaos, into, into, into anarchy, you know? Because if you're living in a major city and you're already having trouble, if you're feeling stir-crazy and you're feeling angry at a government that doesn't care about you and you're upset that, you know, the world is... Upset that, the, that the, our fundamental systems of society are proving to be completely, you know, fragile and, and falling apart at the seams, and then something else happens that makes you need to go steal food from a local bodega... That's when things really get bad, um, and that's why I don't want to. That's why I didn't want to be in a city for this whole thing. Is because you know the other thing is like every apocalypse movie takes place in the city. You know, I had friends who stayed in the city, who stayed in New York, who stayed in L.A., and it's like, have you not seen San Andreas? Have you not seen like? every disaster movie it never they never take place like in the middle of wyoming you know because if a massive world-ending earthquake happens in wyoming it just feels like things get a little shaky you know but uh that's why the movies always take place in in cities because that's where shit gets really bad and that's where the real drama takes place and i decided i didn't want to be anywhere near there um so yeah that's one of the things that really scares me about uh, Corona is that it's made our threshold for withstanding other really bad things uh, a lot, a lot lower. Um, but, you know, <clears throat> maybe I should expect that at this point. I mean, you know, it, it is true that like nothing, nothing, nothing is working the way that we thought it would and nothing really has worked the way that we thought it would. You know, my, my dad, apparently he's, he's, he's trying to file for unemployment and, uh, and uh, what's it called? You know, wage, wage theft. That doesn't make any sense. He's trying... I'm just burping. He's, he's trying to file for unemployment, and um, I guess the website isn't working. I don't know. He'll click on a link, and it'll say 404, page not found, or it'll just redirect to a... Don't you hate that when you're on the internet, and you know, you're know you on, like on a main website, on like a real trustworthy website, and you're like, if you need help, go to here, and it sends you to a forum, to like just some forum post from 2011... And, you know, some guy just, like, writing out this really long text post about, you know, how to help his specific issue. And then, like, there's three people who chime in and, like, two of them call him the N-word. And it's just, like, and, and, and that's the people that they, that's, that's, that's who they want you to go to for help. You know, it's like, if, if we can't solve your issue, post on this forum and then, you know, endorse some level of slurs and uh, maybe they'll give you, give you your answer. And that really annoys me. There's actually, you know, back when I was trying to be a, a, a coder, back when I was trying to, you know, adopt that aesthetic, I, uh, there was a website called Stack Overflow. And Stack Overflow, I think it's actually a chain website. It has different brands for different, for different uh, you know, sectors of, of, of learning. But uh, the big one is it's a coding forum for people to, like, help figure out their coding issues. And people use it all the time because it seems like coding is really just constantly Googling to figure out how to do things. Like, you never learn. It's not like English where you, once you've learned enough of the words, you can basically use it without ever having to do much Googling. Um, but it's more like if every single time you try – coding is more like, you know, even if you get really good at it, every single time you end up, you know, seeing something that you really don't understand you have to figure out what the fuck it is. And so that's why Stack Overflow exists is to make posts about the problems that you don't understand. And I, of course, as a completely inadequate coder who is destined to fail – 
um, was using this form all the time, and I was posting frequently. But one of the main tenets of posting on that website is that you have to, if you're posting a question, it has to be something that isn't just relevant to your project. It has to be relevant to other projects as well. Like it has to be something that someone could read and then transfer it to their own work and sort of have it make sense. Um, but I didn't care about that. And I would post things about extremely specific projects that only I was working on. And it would start out with me saying, hi, I'm working on this iPhone app for my independent study class in my eighth grade class. And I'm doing this project my way. And how do I do this? And, you know, I would get a couple answers basically being, basically being like, listen, I feel bad for you. Um, so here's how I would do it. But this is, doesn't make sense what you're doing. It doesn't make sense that you're trying to do it this way at all. And I would say, shut up. I'd say, shut up and let me work. Um, and, you know, I did that enough times. I posted, you know, five or six times and got suspended two or three times uh, for not making my posts relevant to other users. Um, and then eventually they permanently banned me from the forum because, you know, I was misusing their platform, or so they say. And um, that was really the nail, as from what I remember, you know, it was a while ago, um, that was really the nail in the coffin for me in terms of becoming a coder. I was like, well, if the community doesn't want me, then uh, I don't want the community. And I shed, you know, I, 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 I shed my UV gaming glasses and um, I grew my hair back and I, and I, I traded in my gray hoodie and uh, Nike slip-ons for, you know, real shoes and, and a button-up and I became more of an adult in high school. And I said, you know, well, if the coders won't accept me, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe these theater kids will. And the school that I went to was very specific, and it didn't really have the traditional uh, theater kid contingent, or at least those people. They weren't like how you're envisioning, you know. They weren't doing tap dances in the line at lunch, you know, and they weren't just like singing sixteen bars just to just to annoy their friends and show off to the teacher who doesn't care um, and just wants to go home and considers putting a bullet in his brain every night. Um, it wasn't that kind of thing. It was a more specific... You know, I should talk about my school. I'll talk about my school. Why not? The school I went to was called... Beep! No, it was called um, Rockland Country Day School. I can say it, right? It's like, yo, I can definitely say it, and you'll find out why. Uh, <laughs> don't clip that. Don't clip me saying, oh, I can definitely say it. Um, the school is called Rockland Country Day School, and it was located in Congress, New York, about 15 minutes from my house. And uh, it was a private school... But um, the thing about being a private school is that to really run, you need to cater to a richer demographic than what it did. Um, because basically everyone who was there got at least 75% financial aid. And a lot of private schools can do that too. They'll have like a lot of people go on full-ride scholarships, but then they'll have a lot of other people who are rich kids paying full price and their parents donating a lot. Um, and so the school had been around in 1960, and it sort of had gone through various phases of uh, financial, you know, stability. Um, but we were never a rich school. We owned a lot of property that most of which we didn't use. We were the owners of uh, several empty fields that were generally just populated by flocks of geese. Um, and then every once in a while, the school would come up with some sort of, like, campus event to hold on them, like, you know, student-faculty soccer game or field day or flag day or there was even a thing called kite day um, because we really kite. 
I said kite. There's a thing called Kite Day, um, which was basically, you know, the school decided to celebrate the idea of a kite. And so for mo- for literally months, every time we would ever go to the studio art class, we would just be working on our kites. Um, and, you know, you wanted it to be something that represent. you'd be painting your kite and it was supposed to be representing you. So, you know, maybe you'd make a dragon because you think you're a dragon or you would make, uh, you know, you'd paint a picture of Newton because, you know, you're a nerd or whatever it is. Um, and then we would all sort of gather on one of these two empty fields and then just run with the kites uh, at the same time. It would just be like 20, you know, and you'd go by class. So it would be like the first graders go first and we'd all watch the first graders run with the kites and we would cheer them on. As it, There's no winner. I want to be clear. There's no winner. There's no loser. There's, no, there's, there's really no even way of feeling satisfied or, or, or any sense of achieving anything. Um, but we would all sort of, you know, applaud for them anyway, and then we'd go from first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and then after eighth or around eighth is when it started to get awkward because f- the whole event was designed for children, right? The only people having fun are between the ages of four and eleven years old, but um, the rest of us had to do it as well. And so you saw these like, you know, disaffected eighth graders who were trying to be edgy, and they would, you know, they would probably like have like a skull on their flag and they would say it represents how they feel about the world and then they would just be sort of like dragging their kite along because they refused to run um so you know and then it would get up to the high schoolers and the high in high school like later in high school you sort of regain some of your adult adolescence here your even your childhood nature and you know you want your you suddenly have an affinity for nap time um, you can suddenly appreciate, uh, you know, those weird little, like, you know, those, like, weird little bubble things, plastic bubble things that you would turn them inside out, set them on the ground, and then, like, a couple seconds later, they would snap and shoot up in the air. You know, you would really, those were a big tenant of our, of my 11th and 12th grade experience, because uh, I found them fun again after years of, of, of thinking I was too cool for um, the basic laws of physics. Uh, so yeah, and then because the, so so yeah, the the eleventh and the twelfth graders they also had to do kite day, but they enjoyed it a little more than some of the other people. Um, so that was this type of school that I went to. You could describe it as a hippie school. You could describe it as a sort of like farming sort of school because it looked like a farm. It was actually built on a farm. Um, we didn't have one giant building where, you know, we would all have the classes in the same areas. It was split up into three buildings, um, really that, that looked more like houses than anything else. Um, and then there was a giant quad in the center. And there was one building, which was the elementary school, one building that was the middle school, and one building that that was the high school. But, uh, you know, the classes were spread out between the buildings. So I had, uh, you know, my history class and my English class and my French class in the high school. Um, but then I had my science classes in the middle school. And then I took public speaking one year as an elective, and that was in the elementary school, which is very strange to go to school as, you know, a high schooler and be, you know, dad up a first grader in the hallway. Um, it's a very strange sensation. Hold on, let me get more of my coffee before I explain this. So, you know, that was sort of the vibe. Um, and, uh, you know, you, the, the other thing that was a sort of attendant to the RCDS experience was having a close, have, having an intimate relationship with uh, your teachers. And I did have a lot of that. I had a lot of teachers that liked me. 
Um, but I bonded particularly with my history teacher because he was sort of this, he was this guy, his name was Mr. Fife, and he, he's alive. Uh, he had a, uh, you know, he had a previous life as like a comedian, as an actor. You know, he lived in L.A. for many years. He had done work in theater in New York, um, and he had sort of experienced this whole other world before eventually he decided, you know what, I'm not really a big fan of trying to be uh, in movies and stuff. I would rather become a history teacher. And this is after, he did a movie called like The Frighteners, where he had a major role with Michael J. Fox and blah, blah, blah. You know, he, he had done well for himself, um, but he um, he was in the original cast of that show, uh, like The Shadows or something. I forget what the fuck it's called. But, you know, he had, he had done great. And so he carried that sort of, like, comedic sensibility and um, entertainer-ship uh, into his history teaching, right? And so he would talk to people and he would say... You know, he, he he would tell the story of, it was great because he would tell the story of the conquest of South America. This, you know, in terms of the facts, a horribly tragic story. You know, you saw the deaths of millions of people, you, you know, whether by, you know, intentionally and non-intentionally because, you know, Spanish conquistadors are bringing horrible diseases with them that wiped out the natives uh, with a plague. Uh, you know, but he would tell it in this way that, you know, you weren't rooting for the conquistadors, but you were rooting for drama, you know? And so he would talk about, you know, what's his name? Magellan. No, it wasn't Magellan. It was some other guy. And he would show up to Tenochtitlan and he had this big, you know, fire red beard. And it just happened that that was sort of what, uh, the Aztecs thought the god, uh, one of their gods kind of looks like that. And so they sort of mistook this, uh, conquistador for uh, a sort of almost like a second coming. Um, and he really used that to his advantage, and he eventually tore the whole city down, and it became, you know, one of the worst genocides in not quite recorded history. Um, so yeah, but he would tell that story, and he would talk about, like, the journey through the jungle, and it had this, it had a zeal to it, you know, you were excited to listen to it. And the other thing is that, you know, the classes above you, the grades above you, you talk to those grades, and they had been through these classes, and they had heard the story, and they had told you, you know, oh, there's, when you get to the part in spring where he talks about the Spanish conquest of South America. Wow, what a class. And so you'd show up to class that day knowing that you were going to be hearing one of the greatest hits. And it really just got you engaged with the material. And then he and I bonded over, you know, when I started doing, you know, high school theater or whatever, which he, you know, we, 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 sort, of bo- we sort of bonded in a way because he was a comedian and he blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, we bonded in a big way and I really enjoyed that. Um, so that was another, like, big, uh, you know, thing that you would get from going to this school is that you would get your relationships with these teachers that you probably wouldn't get anywhere else. I mean, I had friends who went to the public school, and from my understanding, their experience was very different than mine, um, sometimes in ways that I'm sort of jealous of. Uh, for example, I never had uh, my math teacher be arrested while pulling out of the parking lot of a strip club and drunk driving, you know. Um, I really wish that I did have that experience. Um, I never had, uh, you know, instances where with, with students having sex with teachers and then, and then, you know, the whole thing being sort of like gag ordered and, you know, hush, hush, we're not going to talk about that. You know, I never, I never went through that. Uh, I never, you know, blacked out drinking in ninth grade because, you know, everyone, because one kid discovered, one kid, you know, brought in a fifth of vodka to, to school one day. 
um, you know, I went to public school for a little bit in elementary school, and I got a little bit of that. Uh, there was a kid who was who was suspended for four days. His name was Kenny because he brought a knife to school. And uh, you know, nowadays that was that would have been what you know, two thousand six, two thousand five, and uh, you know, then it had a very different connotation than it does now. Um, Columbine had happened, but Virginia Tech hadn't, and you know, school shootings hadn't become nearly as popular as they are today. Um, so he was only suspended for five days, as opposed to what would have happened now, which is where he would have been, you know, locked away and then, like, probably discovered the internet and just been radicalized and eventually, you know, murder-suicided his way out of the one bedroom, uh, you know, that he lived in. So, yeah. Uh, so, 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 no, I didn't get that public school experience in high school, but I got a little bit of, a, of an elementary school, and it was very different from what I was getting at RCDS. Um, so what happened to RCDS is that I graduated in 2015, and even then I knew that um, the school was teetering on the edge of bankruptcy, um, as it had been for, 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 for a while now, um, primarily due to the entrance of a new headmaster whose name was Kim Morkate. And Kim Morkate, um, she, 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 um, she gave great, great first impressions, you know, and you rooted for her as a person. But um, then in practice, as she came into power, she sort of took a, um, a Stalinist uh, attitude towards, towards her governance. Um, so she didn't like the idea of teachers talking to each other because it could be, you know, negative about her governing experience. And so she would, like, find different reasons to, to, to disband different teacher organizations. She removed the teacher's position on, on the board of directors. Um, she also took away the parents' position on the board of directors to the point that eventually the whole board became reduced to her and this guy named Keith Cornell, who was, who was uh, you know, the, 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 one of the, the big guys in charge at the board. Um, and they proceeded to commit, you know, various crimes together, um, which I'll, which I'll tell you about later. Um, and so she entered, she entered around, you know, 2012, 2013, you know, my sophomore year of high school and things really changed. And the way that the school had survived for many, many years was by, uh, you know, not charging a lot of money to a lot of people. Um, and then, you know, basically relying on donations from uh, parents, you know, and so it did work in the, in the way that a lot of private schools work. You know, we were still like on the bubble in the sense of, you know, we were we didn't we didn't have money to, for trips. We didn't have money even for like sports teams. Um, we barely had money for after school things. Um, most after school programs were run by teachers simply out of like they had nothing to do afterwards and they, you know, enjoyed their students. So, you know, clubs were run by teachers who just wanted to something to do after school. Um, you know, so that's how we got a lot of those programs up and coming. Um, and then every once in a while, there would be like the child of a, of a celebrity who um, sort of just, you know, who, ma who, t who made the mistake of thinking that we were a prep school. So Rosie O'Donnell's child, Chelsea, I remember, joined my class in middle school. And um, in fact, my friend dated her for a brief period of time. And then Rosie found out and she wasn't happy about it. And she took Chelsea out of school. Years later, of course, we found out that Chelsea went missing for a few days. Um, and Rosie was looking for her. And then she eventually found her daughter like staying in some guy's house across the Hudson River in Irvington. And, uh, you know, she's probably in rehab now. But, um, you know, even for those few months that Chelsea did attend school with me, um, I think Rosie D O'Donnell, like, gave some significant amount of money to the school just to, like, keep it afloat a little longer um, until she found out that she was hoodwinked and that this was, in fact, not Westchester. Um, 
So, yeah, but then, and so, so that, that was really how the school survived for so long was just through the goodness of, 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 of parents who maybe their kids, you know, graduated 10 years ago. They would still donate because they thought the place was special. Um, and then enter Kim Morkate, this headmaster, who uh, basically broke every relationship with every alumni and every parent ever by being, you know, some form of, 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 of devious, of insulting, of uh, not really, you know, of not catering to the people who a lot of the checks were coming from. And, you know, maybe you could say that that is sort of like a, a you know, a thumbing your nose at the man and saying, I want to I wanna usher in a new era where we're not beholden to our donors. And in a lot of instances, I would really approve of that. But um, the thing she wanted to replace was just basically she wanted to make it more of a math school. And I can't emphasize this enough. Every student at my school was was bad. We were bad at math. We never, you know, we never uh, hit the charts in terms of our in terms of our STEM teaching. You know, like we were pretty good at art. We were pretty good at theater. And we did have, um, you know, a we had an abroad program in the, uh, not an abroad program, but we had a, a foreign exchange program where, a lot, you know, a lot of the students came from China and Korea. And um, I'm not going to say how that relates to our math scores, but it didn't hurt. Um, you know, and that's also where a lot of our money came from because the people, you know, Chinese and Korean students who are going to school in America and going to college in America, they're the top 1% of those countries, you know. And so they would be paying, you know, full price times three just to have their students be boarded here. And then a lot of that would pay for the scholarships of other students who couldn't necessarily afford to go here, but, you know, provided something in the community or added, added to the community in some other way. Um, let's see more of my coffee here. So we had that program that was sort of, you know, keeping the school afloat financially. But then the Kim Morkate broke the relationships, um, you know, with those parents as well. And as, you know, whenever, you know, the, the, the father of some, of some, one of our Korean students who's, you know, we had one father who like owned every, somehow owned like every, uh, every brain surgery ward in every hospital in China, you know. So I don't know how the fuck that works. But he was uh, a very rich and very successful, and he arrived here and saw the dilapidated state of our school and saw that our gym classes were walking around the driveway for 45 minutes and saw that, you know, our history classes were using textbooks 10 years old. And, you know, you've heard stories like that before, but it's always about, like, inner-city schools that don't have proper public funding from the government. But uh, we were a private school. We had nothing to do with the government. Government. If we were giving out old textbooks, if we were failing our students, it was our own fault. Um, and so a lot of those students, when their parents realized that they had been hoodwinked in a sense, um, they, they, they took their students out. And so the money was started to bleed out from that direction as well. And when that money stopped coming in and when the donation money stopped coming in, that's when Kim Morkate um, really went on the defensive. And she said, you know, like, all right, I don't want to hear from anyone. I don't want to hear problems from anyone ever again. Like, I'm going to basically try and save this school myself or I'm going to tank it and not take any uh, and not take any of the blame. And, you know, I don't think it took her very long to uh, decide on the second option. I don't even think she flipped a coin. Um, and, you know, sooner, you know, not long after, as the board of directors was being reduced to two or three people um, in a way that is, was illegal, and, you know, she would mistreat teachers, and teachers felt more and more disrespected, and, like, all the good ones started to leave, and along with them went, you know, some of the star students. Um, basically, there was a collective brain drain from the school um, that really kind of fucked it. 
and then she, uh, after my year, after my graduating year, 2015, she just dipped. Um, and that, at that point, the school was like pretty much, uh, on life support and, uh, her assist, her like right-hand man came in, Jocelyn Furestein, and she took over as a headmaster, headmistress. And her big idea was to basically save a school from, uh, bankruptcy by having bake sales. Um, and I even heard one story about them, you know, setting up a, a, a bake sale outside the movie theater on the night that, um, Avengers Endgame opened because the guy who plays, uh, Bucky Barnes, Sebastian Stan, went to that school however many, you know, like 20 years ago or whatever it was. Probably not, probably like 10 years ago. Um, you know, so that, that was their big idea to, to help to that. That was their big way to, you know, to replenish the Magnolia fund, as it was called, which needed millions of dollars. Um, and then the other big idea that you came up with was, uh, selling the property, right? Because, you know, it was 120 students, grades K through 12. Um, we don't need, you know, 40 acres of land, you know, it, it, it doesn't make any sense or however many it was. Um, and so they sold the land back to the school to help, you know, keep the institution afloat and, you know, and hopefully find another property to have the school from. And they stayed there for a couple years while they sort of like paid rent on the property. But uh, eventually the school just had to file bankruptcy and now it's gone. And, uh, you know, this wasn't just like a little startup school. This wasn't like a, this wasn't like a payday loan kind of place. This wasn't, you know, this isn't the same as like, you know, uh, an apothecary opens on Main Street and a surprisingly, you know, bugs in mason jars don't sell as well as they used to in the Middle Ages. Um, and the place closes down and it's replaced by, you know, a Froyo stand thing. Um, this is a major institution of of the Hudson Valley, just sort of collapsed after 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 eighty years, um, and uh, so yeah, that was sort of the environment that uh, I I was going to high school in was basically it was kind of like being in 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 a in a, in a ship that was about to sink all the time, and we knew that it was about to sink, but no one could say anything about it. Um, and the only thing that was keeping it afloat was the, the, the passion of the people on the boat to not sink. Um, you know, it's the same way that the people in the, people in the Titanic, you know, but, but, but it was like the Titanic, um, which is where, uh, you know, no matter how much you want it to not sink, they have, the fact is there's a massive hole in the hull of the boat and we're taking on water, baby. Um, and we were really taking on water in the form of debt. And, uh, yeah, eventually the whole thing just sort of collapsed. And now I'm never going to have a high school to go back to and visit. And a lot of people did go back to their high – do go back to that high school and, and, and visit, um, you know, while it was still alive. You would have students who graduated seven or eight years ago coming back to say hi and to, to greet the teachers that they knew oh so well. Um, and you know that 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 that's I'm not I'm not going to ever be able to do that because that that period of time is over. That's there's no more school to go back to and visit. And maybe that's a good thing because it is sort of lame to go back and visit your high school. Of course it is. Um, you know, it's like when like it's like when a, when someone you know who goes to college for the thing that they were known for in high school comes back and they say, oh oh I remember learning that back in the day. And you know they decide to do a. To, 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 to do a little parade of, of self-importance around people who are three years younger than them and uh, are not going to college, who are in high school. 
Um, so I'm not going to be able to do that, which, you know, may be a blessing in disguise, but uh, it's, 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 it's sort of sad nonetheless because it did mean a lot to me as an institution because, you know, it, it, it made me into the person I am today. Um, and I know a lot of people say that about their institutions, um, but it really did because, uh, you know, it nurtured a spirit of whatever creativity and all that, all that stuff. And I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't, I, I, I wouldn't have a, the sort of, um, the sort of disposition that I have now if it weren't for the fact that I went to school in, you know, in a crisis. Uh, so yeah, I really, I really enjoyed that school and it sucks that it's not around anymore. I don't know. How was your school? If you want to tell me how your school was, write in. Um, I'm not going to set up an email address or any social media accounts, but I will open a P.O. box um, so that you can send me, uh, you know, weapons or, uh, you know, put your fingerprints on something so that I can, you know, lift them and place them on a crime scene and frame you for, 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 for whatever it is while I'm the one who committed the crime myself. Um, so I will be opening a P.O. box if there's any junk that you want to send my way and, uh, you know, may, maybe raise some questions uh, in the post office and have some things reported to the to higher level officials. So, yeah, what time do I got over here? I just farted. Do you hear that? That was a I just ripped ass. Oh, wow. I'm already at 48 minutes. It's been quite the day. You know, I don't know. I, that, that was probably really boring. You know, I was listening to myself talk about the school, and I was thinking, you know, God, who cares about any of this? This isn't funny at all. I haven't been, I literally have not been funny one time this entire recording. For the past 48 minutes, I haven't been funny even once. Um, and that, that, that's, that's hard to think about, and I'm really going to carry that with me the rest of the day. Um, you know, it's, it's an open carry state. How about it's an, how about uh, how about this? It's a, an open carry state, but instead of uh, guns, it's your emotions, and so everyone's walking around, you know, crying. Um, so that that I got that. That's pretty funny, you know, if you think about it. Um, you know, I mean, I I have been thinking about getting a gun.